Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you this evening, sir? Doing well, doing well. Just more football transfer portal news and even bigger news with Derek Mason yeah. stepping away from football. It's We, we keep saying we're going to talk basketball, talk some of the other sports, but it's just football heavy right now, and I don't know when it's going to slow down. Well, you all wanted coaching changes. You got it. I just don't know if that's the one y'all were wanting. So <laughs> that was uh, literally the one you and I said we hoped didn't happen. Yeah, and but obviously there's different circumstances for that. Ab- and everything. Absolutely, and uh, we'll get into it pretty heavily later. Um, you know, the thing I'll say about it is you you hope the best for Derek Mason. Obviously, with it being a stepping away from the sport. Um, obviously it's come out, it's, you know, health related. We won't speculate. We won't get into any of that, but, um, it was the right thing to do. And I will say, uh, again, we'll get into all of this, but I don't think any, anybody in the program was surprised by it. I think it was discussed and, uh, you know, I would expect that there's a contingency was one already in place. So this should be a pretty smooth transition is my expectation. Yeah, and Kate, honestly, we can we can go ahead and start right here if you want to with the Derek with the Derek sure. Mason stuff. I know we were gonna hit some general football and that was one of our topics. So Derek, if for those of you who don't know, if you listen to this podcast, I'm I'm assuming you've already heard, but Oklahoma State defensive coordinator from this past season, former Stanford defensive coordinator, Vanderbilt head coach, Auburn defensive coordinator. Last Thursday, via social media, announced he would step away from football. There was some rumors that were coming out on Twitter and the message board shortly before that. It sounds like from what we've gathered, and I believe, I think I've seen on 247 and Pokes Report that they were going to announce this news in February, but due to some of the rumors being leaked, they went ahead and announced it a little earlier. Uh, Mike Gundy got on and you know he gave his thoughts, uh, Chad Weiberg just tough i mean it says he's going to take a sabbatical so we probably will see him back in coaching but he's been coaching for 30 years like you said not going to speculate on what happened because there wasn't anything officially announced that you and i are aware of but i hope everything is going well with him and his family i know they've got i'm pretty sure Derek mason has like a cool like farm house area so i'm sure they're gonna go they're gonna go kick it there but yeah, I wish him all the best, but it's tough to see him go because you and I were really excited to see what yeah. year two of the Derek Mason defense would look like. Well, I, yeah, that last part right there, I think um, there there were obviously some growing pains. I think a lot of Oklahoma State fans were rightly frustrated by some things they saw from the Oklahoma State defense. But I would look at, you know, some high points as, you know, three scoreless quarters against Oklahoma. I would look at. You know, even the bowl game at times there, they were stifling in the run defense and you started to see the light turn on with some younger guys too, a lyric Rawls, Cam Smith really uh, showing that there was some development going on there in that system. And so 
you hope the best for Derek Mason, but it is a um, it is absolutely disappointing because I think it was the unit of the team, like offense, defense, special teams. I think you probably felt the best about going into 2023 because you really had a good feel of what you had there. Um, but now I think, you know, the big question for me is, is how does Mike Gundy approach this? Because we've, we've talked on this podcast for weeks now. It feels like months, you know, about potential coaching changes on the offensive side. No, nothing's come to fruition there yet. So now if you're now put yourself in the shoes of uh, Michael T. Gundy here, do you really want to uh, upset the apple cart elsewhere when you need to break in a new defensive coordinator? Does this lend you to making an in-house hire and potentially a Joe Bob Clements, which is where I think they're going to go? I, I, I am very intrigued to see the next step, and I think it, the thing I want to know is what comes next. Is it is it defensive or is it offensive side of the football? So it's fascinating times. Yeah, and Kid, you nailed it right there with one of the interesting. I think there's two kind of interesting aspects of this, almost in a as positive as you can take from it, because you and I both like Derek Mason. We were excited to see what he would do, even though there were some lapses. You know, there's there's some things personnel wise on the interior defensive line that I don't think that so much a Derek Mason problem as yeah. just, you know, an attrition problem and not being able to kind of restock there. Some guys that still need to develop. But the thing that you noted with Joe Bob Clements, the one positive here, if they were to go with Joe Bob Clements as the who's currently Oklahoma State's linebacker coach, he was the defensive line coach, has coached at K-State, played at K-State, has plenty of coaching experience, and he's been on the staff, I believe, for 10 years now. If they are to go with him, you only had the one year of Derek Mason. And from everything we've heard, Derek Mason came in and learned the Oklahoma State defensive terminology, the Jim Knowles defensive terminology. So the defense didn't learn anything brand new. I, I know you and I noted, especially in the Twitter thread, some things we saw differently from Jim Knowles defense at times. So there were some different things. But if they were to keep it in-house with Joe Bob, you're not – asking your defense to learn a completely new scheme, completely new terminology. So I think that's the one positive there. And then on the second point that I was going to make is now, you know, maybe you can go get a younger up and comer. And because the defense wasn't amazing last year, you are bringing a lot of guys back, but you're going to be playing a lot of youth. Maybe this would be a good year to go and get someone new and not completely overhaul the scheme because we know Gundy likes what's been done there in the past few years. But you could make some tweaks that maybe you weren't going to make when you brought in a Derek Mason to just kind of learn the Jim Knowles defense. It just feels a lot like when Casey Dunn got the offensive coordinator job, right? Like it was it was probably time. And if if it wasn't offensive coordinator here, it was likely offensive coordinator or head coach somewhere else. So it it has echoes of the past in it. But I, I like what you said there, Dustin. I'm I'm fascinated to see if because I would say going with a young guy is a fairly aggressive approach right now. But I do think it's one that kind of reminds me of when Oklahoma State brought in Jim Knowles in the first place. You had a little bit of a reset on the defensive side of the ball. Not a full-blown, you know, you don't know what you have. Oklahoma State does know a little bit of what they have in, at all three levels of the defense. But I do agree with you. The nucleus is young enough to where I don't know if you want to learn. Like, you could teach three new schemes in three years. 
or you could do the safe thing and you could go with a Joe Bob Clements. So I I'm, I'm interested. Um, if I was going to put a wager on it, I would give a slight lean to Joe Bob Clements, but I wouldn't mind, you know, some fresh blood, some, some young energy there. A Coy McFarland would be a fun one. Maybe not ready for that position quite yet, but I know some fans, I even think we got a question about that, but I, to that point, a young guy would, would get me excited as well. You just segued that so perfectly. Not only did you start tar- talking about other candidates, but you mentioned a Twitter question. And I don't think this is the exact one you're referring to, but I wanted to hit this one to lead us into our next talking point here. Our guy Flash at Ryan Flash Polar said, Who is your favorite candidate to take over the DC job? So, Kate, what I wanted to do, similar to what we did just a season ago, yeah. is take you through some candidates. I've got them broken up into different categories, and obviously I'll flip it back over to you to kind of tell me your thoughts and give any additional info on some of these guys or some even some guys that we maybe haven't discussed yet. But I broke them up into a, a couple of categories. So I've got the guy Kate and Dustin think it's going to be. There's only one person in that category. Then I've got the local media buzzword favorites. There's a few in that category. And then I've got Dustin trolling the internet to find some guys. That's my last category. It's outstanding. And this feels like Groundhog Day. I mean, I literally feel like we just did this with Derek Mason. And here we are again. I love it. It, It's honest. It it makes for so much great. uh, I'm going to say not great podcast content. I guess that's up to the listener to decide. But for you and I, it makes for great discussion. I certainly have. Even though we love Derek Mason, it's, it's awesome to kind of have this happen for you and I selfishly. Yeah, no question. These are some of my favorite discussions with you is what what the heck is OSU going to do with this major problem? <laughs> okay, so let's walk through them. So we've got the guy Caden Dustin think it's going to be. No shocker here. Joe Bob Clements, like I said, he's currently the Oklahoma State linebackers coach, 47 years old. He's got 24 years of coaching experience. I already mentioned a few of these. He's coached the D line at Oklahoma State. He's coached Kansas. He's coached at K State. He was also the run, the defensive run game coordinator at K State. He's coached at San Diego State, and then basically just multiple different stints at K State. I believe his last reported salary is six hundred thousand. So you would think he would get a little bit of a bump there. And then, like I mentioned, he played at K State. We know. Or from everything we've heard, he called the defense in the bowl game against Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl a year ago. Kate, your thoughts? Joe Bob's a program guy. Um, I've already kind of talked a little bit about him already. I think that the safety of the hire does not... uh, I I don't think you should think of it as a safe and um, boring hire. Like I think Joe Bob has what it takes. I think there's a reason... I mean having coached two levels of the defense at Oklahoma state under a Jim Knowles and under a Derek Mason, he's going to have learned a lot. Um, and this is almost like the perfect, you know, um, you know, development program for an assistant coach looking to make that jump, but it is a unique one because most guys move around schools every year or two. So this is, you know, for me, I think a perfect storm and it does feel a little obvious who the prime candidate would be in this in this event because he was a big candidate last year Dustin we we thought maybe that there was a chance like 
I think Derek Mason kind of came out of nowhere. It felt like he was somebody that you and I had talked about, but if you go back to when that actually happened, I felt like his name got thrown out there late and then it happened. And so I think Oklahoma state ran into something there, but if not, I wonder if that was Joe Bob's job at some point, or at least was headed that direction. I'm a Joe Bob guy. I think, you know, some of Oklahoma state's best defensive lines and best linebacker groups literally have been his. So I, I would be all for it. Yeah. And I think one thing you could do with Joe Bob, if you were to promote him to be to defensive coordinator, he does coach the linebackers. You could leave him. I know you mentioned Coy McFarland who just took a job at Tulsa to be their linebackers yeah. coach. You could go get a linebacker. You just got a bunch of different options. You could go get a linebackers coach. You could leave Joe Bob as the linebackers coach if you feel comfortable in another grad assistant, which was what Coy McFarland was under Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State. So Jim Knowles was over the linebackers, but really it was Coy coaching them. If you have another situation like that, then you could add maybe another defensive line coach like you've had in the past since the defensive line struggled a little bit last year. And like like I mentioned, that might have been due to more personnel than coaching. But Greg Richmond and Joe Bob Clements, both on the defensive line, seem to be a huge boost in the past. So you could do that. You could add another coach in a different area. There's a lot of different things you could do if you promote Joe Bob. And like I mentioned kind of in the opener, I don't know how much different the defense would really look than it has the past four or five years. I think it would just be Joe Bob, Tim Duffy, Hammer, Greg Richmond, all just kind of getting together game planning as a group with Joe Bob kind of being the leader. And I think they would just be pulling from the defense of the past several years, maybe adding a few tweaks here and there, but it would be something to build on with the players. They've got familiarity. Now people will say the defense wasn't great last year. So I see some argument to that side as well, but overall, like you said, safe, but also I think you could see an overall jump from the defense. If you were to do this. Yeah. So I think we've already heard before, just by the way Mike Gundy talks about the importance of continuity and familiarity with assistant coaches, he does value that. So I, I would think that this is an opportunity to show that. Now, I think Oklahoma State might have deeper pockets than you know some. And I mean, Derek Mason was making what over a million dollars as yeah defensive paid coordinator, assistant, right? Yeah, in Oklahoma State history. ever. So I think I think Oklahoma State has a little bit of money to throw at the right person, and I think Derek Mason was the right person at the right time. But if you can get a Joe Bob uh, for a little bit less and maybe a discounted rate, so to speak so bad when we're talking about human salaries but let's just call it what it is and then you know put something towards a i don't know if if you're going to go get a young and up and coming offensive line uh, coach or something like that i do think that joe bob allows you a little more flexibility so again i think it is a safe hire but it's not one that i'm you know like underwhelmed by so again continuity familiarity all things gundy has talked about I think this is probably, you know, maybe leading us to that point. If they did that, before we move on to our buzzword favorites, if they were to promote Joe Bob, I know you're going to hate this question, but what would you grade it letter grade wise? Uh, 45. No, um, I would grade it probably a B. Yeah, right? that's what I was going to say, a B. Yeah, I mean, B. it's it's not a C. 
and it's not an A. I would say an A is going and getting like a John Heacock or uh, yeah. somebody like that uh, that and has I, done it at a high level. And I won't do that for every group. I just wanted to get your take on that specific No, it's one. a B. It's a B. Okay, let's go to our the guys you're going to see in every article. Just kind of the names recycled over and over. So, Kate, I'll kind of walk through, just give a little bit of info on each one, and then we can just kind of – we don't have to talk through all of them, but just – a couple of them. So you mentioned one, John Heacock, current Iowa State defensive coordinator. I'm not going to go through very much on him. I don't think that's yeah, that going to happen. Have, that ain't happening. But that, that's one you'll probably see. Here is one that's probably on every single list you'll see because him and Mike Gundy are friends. Our guy, country music superstar, <laughs> Gary Patterson. He's currently the assistant to the head coach at Texas, 62 years old. Head coaching record, 181 and 79. He's coached for over 40 years, primarily at TCU. You know what he's done with the 4-2-5 defense. He's kind of made some shifts to that over the years, but that's, that's been his kind of bread and butter. Teams have used that defense as their base defense, like literally took Gary Patterson's defense and installed that on their teams. So just a prominent name in the coaching industry. Next, we've got Doug Belk. He was a name everybody heard oh, yeah. last year at Houston. He's in his fifth season there. He was promoted to defensive coordinator in 2021. Associate, He was associate head coach, promoted to that in 2020. Houston's defense wasn't very good last year, but neither was their offense. So a little bit, you know, kind of the offense may be hurting the defense a little bit in that situation, but their defense was not very good last year. Next, I've got David Reeves. He was at UAB, but he was not retained by Trent Dilfer, who's now the head coach there. He's 54 years old, over 23 years of coaching experience. He's a two-time Broyles Award nominee. He does more of that 3-4, 3-3-5. Those, those are the guys I think you're going to see on most lists. Okay, did I forget anybody there? Those were kind of the names I had written down. There's an, I mean... If you want to throw like a Shane Eaches in there, who was a former Oklahoma State yep. assistant, who's now at formerly Houston Baptist, I believe now they're called Houston Christian. That that would be maybe a kind of dark horse guy that's going to be on some list. But I don't love any of those. I mean, I would, you know, I would take Gary Patterson over. Like, I just, I don't think that's the hire you want to make and him and completely install his defense. Like I said with Doug Belk, I don't know if he's going to leave. I think he's making about a million at Houston, and he, they were pretty underwhelming this year. David Reeves, I think you could probably get him for the cheap, but I, he doesn't do a lot for me. And then Shane Eaches, I, I just don't know if that's the move you want to go to right now. I think that'd be similar to kind of a Coy McFarland right. move over. Right, like you're you're probably reaching for a young and up-and-comer on the hopes of them getting there, but they wouldn't be ready to go day one. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see really any of those. Gary Patterson might be looking for a new head coach after Sarkeesian's display at the Alamo Bowl with the security guard. Uh, it's hard to work for a loose cannon like that, but uh, who really knows what's going on with him? That feels I love Gary Patterson as an analyst. That feels like more of a reach than like even a John Heacock. Like, is it is it just like? that we have to say these names because that's who they are and they're out there and somewhat available. Gary Patterson, I mean, you could clip this and if it's wrong, so be it, but he's not going to be the next defensive coordinator at Oklahoma state and John Heacock. I would lump them in that same group. Both of them would be, I would say home run knockout hires 
I don't see that happening, I, especially at this phase of Oklahoma State football. It feels like not necessarily a rebuild, but you're almost like, you know, replacing some key pieces of the foundation that you built two years ago. You're still doing that in some cases. I don't see a aggressive, as you said, installation of a new full new system for the third year in a row. I just don't see that. And I think as well, if you're going to do that, if you're going to go full new system, why not go for a younger up-and-coming sure. guy that Gundy normally do- does go to on the offensive side of the ball? And, you know, I know a lot of people think when Gundy does that with offensive coordinators, they sometimes get upset. But I think if you were going to do a complete overhaul, I don't know if you want Gary Patterson's four-two-five or John Keacock's odd stack, three-man front, both two of the best defenses of all time in college football history, but there's a lot of film out there on those things. You're going to be paying these guys a lot of money. And if it doesn't work out, huge failures there. And, you know, I I was also joking about bringing Gary Patterson as an analyst, because if you bring Gary Patterson in as an analyst, we saw it this year with Pete Kwiatkowski's defense at Texas. He will install parts of his defense into your defense, whether you like it or not, which I'm not saying is completely a bad thing, but yeah, and, you know, maybe that's a super dumb take from me. I'm talking about two of the greatest defensive minds in college history. I just don't think that's the direction Oklahoma State wants to go right now. You know, it really is amazing how you and I see eye to eye on this type of stuff. I, I don't think that Mike Gundy and Gary Patterson would even, like, get along in a coaching room together. Is that off base? Like, is that – they're big personalities. Gary Patterson is a big personality. I think that last thing you just hit on when we talked to Ian Boyd in the offseason – he even kind of mentioned like the Kwiatkowski and Patterson relationship was weird. And, you know, maybe that there was a larger personality dominating a, a quieter personality. I don't think either of Mike Gundy or Gary Patterson uh, want to be the one being dominated in a conversation. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and yeah, Ian hit that when we were talking to him. So we know there's some truth to that yeah. with how well he knows that program. Okay, Cade, let's move on. These are some of the guys that I like. One of them, I'm gonna give you two, I'm gonna give you three. And then oh, you know I missed on the the buzzwords one. I put I put him too far down. Jim Leonard from Wisconsin. Uh, that one is out there. I thought you were gonna say Jim Knowles, honestly. Thought thought that's where you were headed. So you just crushed you just crushed my last my last category that I was gonna surprise you with. I stepped on so it. Let, I'm let's sorry. Hit, let's hit that. Let's hit that one now before we get to the ones I like. What the rumors, and these are not these are not rumors. Sometimes when Kate and I say rumors, we've been told something and we think it's probably pretty true. In this case, these are rumors. We've seen kind of floating around, not really solid, concrete info. But there are some rumors out there that Jim Knowles and Ryan Day do not get along, which should not be a shocker because Kate and I Nobody. have confirmed that Mike Yursich and, and Ryan Day did not get along at all. I think it's pretty widespread known throughout Ohio State's fan base and media that Ryan Day can be tough to work with. I think I if if that's true, I think Mike Gundy would definitely take Jim Knowles back. I don't think that relationship ended rocky from everything you and I have heard. And they can they would definitely be willing to pay him, I think, what they were going to 
pay him last time. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but it was a big number. And I think they'd be willing to go there again. And that would be completely fine with me, Kate. Well, this one falls under the saucy category. That's what, that's how we label rumors like this. And I'm trying to think of like another just out there Oklahoma State rumor. I'll go like, I think a couple years ago, people thought Todd Munkin was coming back. Like they were like doing flight tracking from wherever he was at and he was coming to Stillwater and that didn't happen. Uh, this feels like one of those, but uh, who wouldn't welcome Jim Knowles back? To be honest, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense career path wise but i think if you factor in that yeah Knowles Knowles is a big personality too so we we knew this last year you could see it on osu max but he commanded the respect of his players he got that respect but shoot if he's just fed up with ryan day sure i'll take a jim Knowles in a heartbeat i would take him over pretty much anybody else we're gonna list on this list but i just don't see it and i'm sorry i stepped on your uh, saucy rumor here no, I, I think I think everything you hit makes sense. I, I don't have a ton more to add just because at this point, it's I think it's really just a rumor. But if if Jim Knowles to, were to return, he would be he would have a bunch of players that he recruited that played under him still on this team. I think it would be a huge morale boost for those guys. I'm pretty sure all the players seem to really like him from everything that I've heard. I know he's very involved in the scheme. Gundy mentioned that he kind of just will lock himself in his office and go through schemes. So I think we would see some new things because we saw some new things from him this year at Ohio State, but also the things that we had grown accustomed to while he was at Oklahoma State in that first run. I think it would be a huge get. I know that would greatly increase my kind of positivity and hopes for next season's ceiling. But at this point, it's I think it's just a rumor. So yeah, well, it it is a good chance for me to give out a little call to action here. You, our listeners, should send us their favorite message board rumor they've heard over the last decade or so, because there have been some legendary ones, and I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I know they're out there. So drop them in our mentions, and we may even you know maybe during the off season on a rainy day we'll pull them out and. We'll we'll uh we'll get saucy with you guys. No, I love that. Yes, please, please do that because that will be fun. Okay, <laughs> Kate, let's go to the let's go to the guys that I like. So this is the real meat names, and potatoes, by the way. This is this couple, is the main course. <laughs> a couple of these names are guys that I liked last year because we literally just did this a year ago, and they still <laughs> continue to have good defenses this year. Yeah. So the first one, if you follow me my personal Twitter account, you know that I love this guy. I sent out a tweet about him the other day. Kurt Maddox at San Diego State. You and I, Cade and I have a friend who is close to the San Diego State program and just had raving reviews about Kirk Maddox. So we know not only is he a good coach on the field, seems like a really cool guy that the players like. If you've ever seen him, I talked about it last time. Looks like a psycho, which I definitely want in my defensive coordinator <laughs> and just kind of looks mean just in general, which he's not, but that's how you want your defensive coordinator to look like maybe they don't shower every day. They're just not a, not a very well-kept human being and maybe a little crazy unhinged, if you will. I want a crazy defense. I want an unhinged defense. I, I, I don't know how you see Kirk Maddox and you don't think that I love it. Yeah. It, 
he he's a guy and this isn't just a random name like i'm not trying to say i'm like cool hipster coming up with names that no one's ever heard of you'll probably see this name on some list too because he's a former Broyles award nominee he coaches linebackers at san diego state you know in the past it, i think this was two years ago but seventh and no no this was this was this past season seventh in defensive points per drive eighth in defensive points 12th in F+. plus. He's 46 years old. He was at Eastern Kentucky, Michigan. He played at the University of Indianapolis and then at Valparaiso, so he doesn't have any major program ties. He does that 3-3-5 scheme with the stand-up edge, plays some man and zone. He'll do some funky stuff with a bunch of guys up near the line of scrimmage. And the last reported salary for him that I saw was 500000 So I think this is a guy you could realistically go get. He's not young, but he's not old. I think he's made a name for himself in the game. Brady Hoke has said, you know, he's coached with Brady Hoke before, said he's one of the smartest minds, defensive minds he's ever encountered. Brady Hoke's kind of been around the college football game for a while, so I think that's pretty big praise there from Hoke. Kid, I know you like Kirk Maddox, too. I, I, I think this would be, you know, I don't know enough about football, but if for some reason they put me in the spot to make the decision – I would choose Kirk Maddox. I would vote for you in a heartbeat. I would go to the board meeting to lock you in. <laughs> what I'll say about him, we 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 broke him down before, and I was in on him last year after you you sold me on him. I was like, let's go get this guy. He looks like a mix between Chris Farley and Mike Leach. I mean, just for our listeners at home, just know that. So what Dustin just described there, that is that man. Oh, I love that so much. I was on mute, but I just cackle laughed at that. So <laughs> Good, good. I'm glad. Okay, guy we have next, Cade. This is a new name. This He was not on my list last year. Manny Rojas from Delaware. So he bases out of that 335 odd stack. He started, I read some, I've actually watched a couple interviews with him and read a couple articles about him. There was actually an athletic article that involved him kind of talking about TCU's defense heading into the national championship game against Georgia. So it sounds like originally two seasons ago, he can't, he, he was put in charge of Delaware's defense. He's been at Lafayette. He's been at several different places. He played linebacker at Liberty. But he installed John Hecox's Iowa State defense and then has kind of shifted a little bit more to the Gillespie TCU 335, which those are very similar, just kind of some different things there. But that that's their base defense, and they, they do a lot of different things. I was able to watch one of Delaware's playoff games this week, just kind of real quickly flipping through it against South Dakota State. I really like everything that he says in these interviews he seems like a big time energy guy i believe i couldn't find his exact age or birth date but it looks like based on when he graduated college and how long he's been coaching everything that he's around like late 30s early 40s i think like 39 40 is probably where he's at but he's mainly just been at smaller programs in 2021 the blue hens defense was outstanding they were really good this year again pff graded their defense overall as seventh in FCS, they were third in total defense and fourth in scoring defense. They'll do some four down stuff. They'll do some different kind of things on the back end. And I, I just really like, he seems like a high energy guy, kind of like a, like you talked about with Knowles being not, not a rah-rah, but just a stern kind of very intense human being and coach all around. 
And I really thought it was funny after kind of switching to that three, three, five, I saw a quote from him. He said, he'll never go back to playing a purely four down defense again. And I'm sure Mike Gundy will love that. Cause I know Mike Gundy has loved the kind of three down with that stand up Leo. Yeah. I was trying to find a guy who I knew Gundy would like that maybe wouldn't change the scheme too much, which I know shifting to that full three, three, five would be a big change, but Rojas hasn't been a defensive coordinator for that long. So he may be willing to adapt and kind of bring his knowledge into the Oklahoma state scheme. And I think Gundy could talk a guy of this age coming from this, you know, kind of level of college football into that. And I think he could bring enough of kind of a new mix to Oklahoma state's defense to really improve it overall. And I, I just really like him too, as a person. It's yeah. Well, an interesting uh, candidate there. And it feels a little bit like a hire of uh, uh, Mike Gundy would have made like five years ago, like defensive coordinator at Delaware, Mike Yersich. It feels like that. I don't know if OSU's in that type of position right now. I, I wonder if those days have passed Mike Gundy by a little bit because we haven't seen a hire like that in a while. But I love everything you just said about him. And you guys are getting my unfiltered reaction to all of this. So just know that Dustin does all the legwork here. Make no mistake about it. But I love the idea of a guy, young guy bringing his system. I will say a young guy bringing the system, you nailed it. I do think there would likely be some changes that Mike Gundy would request in a situation like that, as opposed to bringing in a, I don't know, a Gary Patterson or, or a John Heacock or somebody like that who's bringing a briefcase uh, and a game plan with them. Those are my two favorites. And then I, I won't go into as much detail on these last two guys. They were both guys that I liked last time who I still like. Vince Curies from Toledo. Oh, yeah. He's formerly at Mount Union. He was there and has ties to Matt Campbell. 46 years old. Toledo's had some solid defenses. He runs a 4-2-5 with some three down mixed in. So I think you can kind of mesh into Oklahoma State scheme well. And then Scott James at Holy Cross. He's been there for, I think, like five seasons now. Holy Cross had one of the best defenses in the FCS this year, and I think they were one of the better teams in the FCS. I think they've had like three straight Patriot League championships and have gone to the football, the NCAA football championship subdivision title game as well, I believe, recently. So some really powerful defenses there at Holy Cross with Scott James and then Vince Curious, his dad coached for a long time too at Mount Union. So just a long history in the game. I'm sure he's run into Mike Gundy at some point in his life. I'm just guessing just from being in coaching for so long, both of them, but I like both of those guys. I like Maddox and Rojas more, but those are some just random names. I found uh, just trying to dig through and see who maybe would fit. Well, nice job, Dustin. What I I'll ask you this. We said Joe Bob feels like the guy, right? If it's not Joe Bob, do you think it's somebody on that list? Probably not. I think it'll be somebody random that Gundy liked that he met one time or that he has a friend that liked that he thinks can mesh in. And I'm not saying it's going to be a bad hire. I just, it's so, yeah, it's, we've never even gotten close to calling one of his hires and they've, there've been a lot of new recent ones in, in the past like since you and I have been podcasting going back to our previous podcast. And I don't even think we've ever gotten close. Well, and I, there's a lot of people connected to the program that also don't get it right publicly every year. We're just bold enough to come out here and say, we're going to give you a bunch of names. 
We may not get it right, though. Um, I agree with you, Dustin. I would love for it to be one of the guys on that list. There, There's a chance, though, as Mike Gundy comes back from the football coaches uh, convention, he knew that this was coming. Like, there is absolutely a chance that somebody, like, met somebody there, full speculation mode here. But who, who really knows? So, Kate, I actually found out Gundy did not go this year. Oh, he did not go. He did not. Robert Allen actually noted that recently. I meant to say that earlier on the pod. That's huge news. news And I forgot. So he did not go. He doesn't always go. He normally just goes that I found out when he's presenting, when he's speaking in one of the, either in a main session or like one of the breakout sessions. So from everything I know, he did not attend this year. So I don't think any of that would have happened. And I led the listeners astray because I thought that he was going. I thought he went every year. So that's that's some new information I found out since the last podcast. Well, that's huge information. So throw my last 20 seconds in the trash. Sorry. But that is big news. So thank you for letting us know that. <laughs> don't withhold so, any information. No, okay. That's, that's all I had for defensive coordinator. I think we can move on if you're good with it to the transfer portal. Oh, I'm so ready. The big weekend in the portal. Big weekend. There is a there is a lot. I did want to know, Kate, just because I don't want to forget to do this. It has been confirmed on Pokes Report all of the spring enrollees on that are that are going to be here for spring football. So it's going to be all from from what I know. It's all twelve of the transfer portal guys. So Alan Bowman, Arlen Bruce, who we'll get to in a little bit, Elijah Collins, who we'll get to in a little bit, the O-lineman Dalton Cooper from Texas State, Ian Edenfield, the tight end, who we'll also get to in a little bit. Those are the three three new guys I already hit on. Anthony Goodlow, the defensive end from Tulsa, Kenneth Harris, the cornerback from Arkansas State, Leon Johnson III from George Fox, Division Three, Justin Kirkland, the defensive tackle from Utah Tech, Noah McKinney, the UNLV offensive lineman, Dejon Stribling, the wide receiver from Washington State, and Justin Wright, the linebacker from Tulsa. So it sounds like all of those guys will be er- here early. And then from the recruiting class, Jack and Dean, the offensive lineman from Tucson, Zane Flores, the quarterback from Nebraska, Hudson Cack, the punter from Australia, Iman Oates, the defensive tackle from NEO, Jacoby Sanders from Stillwater, the center, and Lardarius Webb Jr., the Jones College defensive back, will all be here here in the spring as well, along with five preferred walk-on enrollees. I won't go through all their names, but that's there's going to be a lot of new faces. Basically, I wanted to go through that because there's going to be a lot of new faces in spring football. And previously, you know, when we went when we did our recruiting podcast with Lunt, I don't think any of the media guys knew. And you and I didn't know for sure who was coming in besides like Zane Flores because he had noted that in several interviews. So I just wanted to go through and kind of clear that up. I believe all the transfer portal guys, those six early enrollees, and then the five preferred walk-ons. Well, that's great because there's even guys in the portal who have committed that it's like, oh, like a Kenneth Harris, who's a great pickup, I think. It's easy to forget about guys like that that committed way earlier and there's been so much activity in the portal. It's easy to forget guys like that. So good to get them on campus as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And Cade, big news. The transfer portal to enter the transfer portal. The last day is tomorrow. So classwork started at Oklahoma state this week. The last day to enroll non-restrictive is January 24th. So I would think at, 
after that date, January 24th, I wouldn't think we would see any spring football additions. Now they can still enroll. Just, I mean, just think back to your college days though. If you were going to enroll that oh my semester, gosh. it was, it would probably be chaos, you know, three or four weeks after school starts, you know, you got solo this week, but then after that, you're kind of getting into the mix. I mean, there may be even be a test coming up if Absolutely. you were to enroll that late. So I doubt we see anybody new after that deadline. And I don't think besides high school commits on that February 1st signing day that's coming up soon, I'm not sure we see any more transfer portal guys, maybe one or two. I don't think we see any more guys leave, not to jinx, knock on wood, but I think we're looking at probably pretty close to 100% what the spring roster will be, minus some high school guys that may enroll early that haven't announced yet that might announce on February 1st. Yeah, which is encouraging because I think everybody – for the last couple of weeks, I wanted off the merry-go-round. It was a lot. There was a lot of, you know, attrition and addition. And, you know, I sent a tweet out the other night. I, I, if you look at Oklahoma State's roster and, you know, we've been, we've been accused of sunshine pumping. Um, you might want to cover your ears because my take might piss some of you off. <laughs> I, I don't think that Oklahoma State, in terms of skill talent, has taken a step back in the portal this year. I looked at it. I think John Paul Richardson, and I don't know, just, just bear with me as I get on my soapbox here. John Paul Richardson's a big loss, but you go down the list, it starts to kind of wash itself out. Like Arlen Bruce is probably going to fill that slot. I would give the edge to John Paul Richardson, but then you get into a Bryson green and boogie and you look at who's coming in to replace them. Leon Johnson, Deshaun Stribling, both guys that have played and have played at a high level. I think Leon Johnson's a little bit of an unknown, but let's be candid about Boogie. The ceiling was high, but he had less than 200 receiving yards this year. So I think we were making a future bet there. I I don't see how 2023 is much different based on skill talent. And that includes like a Dom Richardson swapping out for an Elijah Collins. That feels like uh, apples to apples to me. So, um, I just wanted to say that because I still believe it. I tweeted it the other night. I still believe it. And you look around the portal. I think they made it outside of defensive tackle still to this point. They have filled uh, positions of need with quality depth. So I hope that that continues even as the portal, you know, the entry period closes. Yeah, my only real counterpoints to that were going to be Stephon Johnson's ceiling, boogie ceiling, and you hit that. That would be... You know, Dijon Stribling's got several years left, or I think a couple years left. So he could still, he still has a little bit to go on the ceiling. Leon Johnson only has the one year left. We kind of know where he's at. He actually was talking to the Los Angeles Chargers scouts. We know he's been talking to some NFL scouts. So they believe he's probably fully developed at this point. So that would be the only spot, I think, skill talent wise, you maybe take a step back just ceiling wise. But yeah. as far as next year goes, I think you're 100% correct. I think the only area, and I don't think you're including them. That's why you didn't mention this. But I think obviously Alan Bowman, Spencer Sanders to Alan oh, Bowman sure. is, a, is a giant step back. But I don't think you would so much count that in your argument of skill talent. That would more just be overall offensive players, which you'd probably include offensive line and that yeah, everything def- as well. Definitely not. <laughs> I think I think it's a great call out overall. And, and I love what you said about guys like Arlen Bruce. So before we get into those new guys, I do just want to say, just to kind of recap with the listeners what happened this past weekend. 
So Arlen Bruce visited along with some high school guys and then former Texas A&M tight end Blake Smith. So you get the commitment from Arlen Bruce. Blake Smith apparently received a phone call from OU. He went over and made a visit to Norman after Stillwater and has since committed there. So tough news there. But Oklahoma State's able to get a tight end in, Ian Edenfield, a Division II guy who they're able to get a commitment from. And along with Edenfield, they also had Micah Bernard on a visit who, from what I was told, Oklahoma State and him kind of mutually agreed that it wasn't the best fit because Elijah Collins had committed just a few days before the Michigan State running back, who we'll talk about in a little bit. So that's what happened this weekend. And then there's supposed to be another visitor on campus tomorrow, Manny Tayamana, the JUCO offensive lineman that you and I talked about on the previous podcast. He wouldn't be able to get here until the summer, but I know a lot of people are like, are we not going to add any more offensive linemen? Or are we not going to add any more defensive linemen? I think you're going to add Manny Taimana. I think he really likes Oklahoma State. I could see them adding him. So there's your offensive lineman. So really, hey, before we get into these guys, I wanted to ask you about positions of need. We know interior defensive line, but outside of that, is there anywhere else you think they need to add a guy that could come in and compete for a starting spot right away that's realistic? No, it feels done. I mean, if Manny Taimana, which I think you just revealed a state secret, so we we may need to excommunicate you uh, here <laughs> shortly after the podcast. But uh, I think be visiting. He's our yeah. I I think he is the guy. You talked about him on the podcast last week. That fills maybe that tackle spot that we were thinking. Hey, maybe Oklahoma State could take another player there. I do think that he could he could fill that role. But no, I, I don't think that there's another position of need outside of defensive tackle. Um, because I think if you look even in the secondary, I think they've kind of just reloaded with with portal talent. And I, I understand, like, obviously you can add depth pieces to any of these spots. Absolutely. Just purely like you said, because I, I, agree, I agree with you completely. I don't know outside of interior defensive line where I think they need to add a guy that can come and compete for a starting spot right away. I think they've got the guys that they want. Now, you know, obviously it would be great if a five-star guy decommitted that's played for three years and they went and got him. But just realistically looking at the portal right now, looking at the team and by Pokes reports math, we talked about this on the last podcast, they had 76. Then we had the two commits. Now we've got three more. So you'd be at 81, we're expecting a couple of high school guys to commit on February 1st. That's going to get you really close to that 85 number. I don't even think there's very many spots left. And that, I think still, like I said last week, I think some of the guys who are super seniors either aren't coming back or some of the guys who got a one-year scholarship last year maybe aren't taking it this year. Right. Because by my count with the current roster and the guys we've added, they're actually at 86. So one over oh, wow. the limit. So I think which reports math is probably more correct than mine, but it's basically all that to say there's only a few spots left anyway. Well, I think we've discussed ad nauseum. I mean, I think it backs up the point you and I are trying to make in that it's a defensive tackle or two that they need. If they only have a few spots available, I would think multiple go to that position, whether it's high school, preferably transfer portal. I think multiple are going there. 
I agree. Okay, so since we last talked, let's cover the guys that that committed that we had offers out to. Walter Rouse, the offensive tackle from Stanford, he did end up committing to Nebraska. He decommitted and committed to OU. So you and I were right that he was probably going to Nebraska, but then he tricked everybody and went OU. So I did want to say, I did want to give us our flowers for being right, but then also take the flowers away because he went to OU instead. Then we've got Tyrone Broden, the wide receiver from Bowling Green. I thought Oklahoma State might have had a chance there. You you pointed out smartly, though, that they've already gotten several taller receivers around, not as tall as him, but around his size. So the, all that being said, Oklahoma State, the interest probably wasn't there anymore. He committed to Arkansas. And then Sean Tyler, the running back from Western Michigan, who was committed to Oklahoma State, decommitted and has since committed to to Minnesota. There's been some rumors that his girlfriend goes to Minnesota. I think the real reason is maybe a little bit of that, but also his former offensive coordinator from Western Michigan is now co-offensive coordinator at Minnesota. He wasn't the, sorry, I think he was just on staff at Western Michigan, but Tyler has gone out and said that his name's Greg Harbaugh, called him, talked to him about it, and said, Hey, you know, we know you're at Oklahoma State. We are, we know you're headed to Oklahoma State, but we want you to come here because, you know, we think we can use you like this. He had the familiarity with Harbaugh. So he didn't decommitted and flipped there. It sounded like he was pretty, he felt pretty bad about it in this interview that I read, and he should. Because I really wanted him on campus, but I did too. I, I I kind of understand the flip there, and Oklahoma State was able to land Elijah Collins from Michigan State. Well, it's it's funny for the you know I think there was the group of five all stars that was thrown out there. Like he he decommits and flips to Minnesota, so there was another Power Five school that was interested, and then Oklahoma State goes and gets a power five guy in Elijah Collins, who has done some good things at Michigan state. He was the name that was thrown out there a little while back. I had actually forgotten about him. And then just out of nowhere, it, it kind of shines a light too on how wrapped up some of these visits are right now, just from a uh, secretiveness standpoint. I, I think the Blake Smith thing is a key example of that. Oklahoma catches wind that he's on, on a visit at Oklahoma state that is going well by all accounts, it is going well. And, you know, uh, I was going to say something I shouldn't Brent Venables calls him and says, why don't you come visit here? And, uh, that happens. And he commits there done it to Justin Wright as well. And Justin Wright is stuck to his commitment. But, um, I, I think there's a reason that Oklahoma state is so buttoned up right now. And, and I don't, uh, I don't disagree with the approach. Yeah, and I like the pickup of Collins. Six one, two hundred twenty five pounds. Got one year left. He was the second leading rusher for Michigan State this season. Three hundred eighteen yards, six touchdowns on seventy carries, four point five yards uh, per attempt. Appeared in all twelve games. He also plays special teams as well, and I think he had like three or four tackles on special teams. So he he's very athletic. I think he's a former basketball player, really talented basketball player. A few years ago, he rushed for 988 yards and five touchdowns on 222 attempts. Then, from from what I've read, he had COVID and it had multiple setbacks from COVID. Then he had a leg injury and it just kind of dropped him out of the rotation at Michigan State. And I think he's looking for some in this last year where he can maybe get a few more carries. And with what you have in Ollie Gordon, a guy that's 225 pounds, 6'1", that 
is a very, very powerful back that also has some agility and speed. I think you've got a nice mixture there. And then add in Jaden Nixon, who's more of the pure speed, a little bit smaller back. That's what you and I were asking for talent-wise and skill-set-wise a season ago. And I just don't think the mixture of Dom, true freshman Ollie, and Jaden got you there. But very experienced Elijah Collins, a Dom with a year under his belt, or Ollie with a year under his belt, and Jaden Nixon back again with even more experience. I think that does more for you there. I still think they're going to try to get a high school running back before February 1st. Not just anybody, but... I don't have a name off the top of my head. I still think they'll try to add another depth piece, but I like Collins overall. I do too, and I think he fills exactly what you just said, but like now you've got your every down back in Ollie Gordon. Now you've got a, you know, kind of the thunder piece of the running back room and Elijah Collins who can go get you a yard when you need a yard. And then you have the lightning with Jaden Nixon. I think now you have a more balanced running back room than you had last year, which is why I think they've improved in some areas. Skill talent wise, this is a, this is a room I would say is in better shape now than it was last year. And I would, I said the same thing with Sean Tyler on campus. So I think they've, they identified some of the things we were seeing and made a move accordingly. And I love it. I, I think, uh, you know, Sean Tyler being a two time thousand yard rusher came in maybe with a little more, um, expectation perhaps but i think elijah collins being a you know two-year three-year guy at michigan state is going to come in and fit in right away i have no doubt about that it's funny too because tyler and collins are like completely different in size they are not tyler the same was like 510 185 and collins is 61 220 plus so pretty interesting there uh kid the next guy i wanted to hit a Twitter question as we segue into this guy, Corbett Klein at Corbett Klein says, how do you see us using Arlen Bruce? So okay. Arlen Bruce, we talked about him on the last podcast, Iowa wide receiver. He's got two years left, 5'10", 198 pounds, former four star had 70. He's had 75 snaps in the slot, 179 out wide. So he's played both inside and outside. He's done punt return, kickoff return. They hand him the ball off a ton on jet sweeps, which I mentioned on the last podcast. He'll be here in the spring. I think I think Oklahoma State primarily uses him, Kate, in the slot. But as we've seen, Oklahoma State does like to use those jet sweeps. They might even go to it more now with a more with a less mobile quarterback and Alan Bowman because that causes some misdirection. It can add into the zone we read. We've seen the GT counter jet read play as well in previous seasons. And I think the guy that you run that with is a guy like Arlen Bruce. Yeah, and it it makes me wonder, like John Paul was was a loss, and they've now lost two depth pieces there. Uh, in John Paul and Braylon Presley, and they replaced one. So does the addition of a tight end impact because they didn't go slot for slot here and just say, okay, well, we need to replace John Paul. We need to replace Braylon. It kind of feels like they took one scholarship from the wide receiver room and said, we need more tight ends because they, we do think that they're going to shift a little bit at least to having maybe an inline and stand up tight end in some cases, whereas you don't need, multiple you know slot receivers and when i say multiple i mean like four i think arlen bruce and brennan presley probably are your one and two at the slot next year i mean do i have that wrong no i i think i think that makes complete sense and the 
the last guy they got is Ian Edenfield, the D2 right. tight end from, I think it was formerly California University of Pennsylvania, and now it's known as Pennsylvania Western. That sounds... California University of Pennsylvania was confusing everyone from 1983 to last year. Well, it sounds like a fake college. It sounds like the South Harmon Institute of Technology is literally what it sounds like. <laughs> Well, they're actually in the same conference that Shippensburg is in, where Gundy got Mike Yurcich from. So maybe he had some connections there. Oh, I haven't been able to watch a ton on Edenfield, but he's 6'5", 255 pounds. He had some injury issues this past season and only played in four, game, four games. His dad is a wrestling coach, and he was a former awesome wrestler in high school. I believe he finished like runner-up back in high school in the state Pennsylvania State Championships. He's got one year of eligibility left. He was first team all conference tight end and defensive line as a senior in high school. Honorable mention all state tight end as well. Pretty unsung recruit. They threw him the ball a little bit, but due to Division II not playing in 2020, him being injured this past season, he doesn't have a ton of in game film over the past three years because he shared the starting spot in 2021. But I think this is a guy you bring in as a kind of depth piece in case there's an injury to Josiah Johnson, if Blaine Green stays at that tight end spot, an injury there. I think this is more of a depth guy that will get some reps, but not probably not going to be the starter. And and I I mean, I like the pickup overall. I It's kind of weird when you don't know anything about them at all and they don't have a ton of film out there. But I think it was nice to add a, another tight end depth piece that they really are going to do what you said and move to more of a tight end and fullback scheme offense. Well, doesn't it? I mean, he's 6'5", 255. And when I saw that, I'm like, holy cow, what position is he going to play? And then I thought of all of those K-State tight ends that were wham blocking the ever-loving crap out of us last year. I was like, oh, maybe we'll do some of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love it. I, I There's not a lot, I think, to say on him because you and I haven't got to watch a ton. The last guy I wanted to, I wanted to hit on just real quick because we hit on him earlier, Micah Bernard, Micah Bernard, the Utah running back. He still hasn't committed as of this podcast. He's got two seasons of eligibility remaining. He's really, really talented. I think Oklahoma State just decided once Collins committed, though, they probably weren't going to take Bernard. He still hasn't committed, though, so I, I don't know what happens there. I don't think he'll end up at Oklahoma state. And then I did just Cade, since you asked me last time about some defensive tackles, since there weren't a lot that we mentioned in the portal, there has been a couple that have entered recently that Oklahoma state could maybe take a flyer on. I just don't know how many guys they're still going to add, but there's Keanu Williams from Oregon played 113 snaps last season. He's six, four, 300 pounds. I believe he has two years left, former four-star recruit. There is CEO Nofa Aga Tutoa from indiana he's 6'3 315 pounds 324 snaps last season over a thousand in his career at indiana and then the last one is 6'3 306 pounds kylan mccracken for the ohio bobcats he's played a lot for ohio uh, i think over like 700 snaps or something like that in his career all these guys are interior defensive linemen none of them really excite me as a guy that could you could slot into a starting spot but just to get some more bodies in there, I think those are three names that 
that I like just from looking into them a little bit, but I don't, I don't know what Oklahoma state's going to do there. If they're going to get somebody in the summer, if they're going to look to the Juco ranks, or if they're just going to say, Hey, we like what we got, which you and I don't like what they got, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how it's kind of like, you know, the prevailing thought we had, like, I don't know how you run the same offense back out there next year. I do not know how you run this defensive tackle room out there next year. Um, it, it will have been, I, I will have called it a failure by then. If, if we get to August and there's not two more defensive tackles that are, let's say game ready. I'm not saying it's surefire starter on day one, but right now I, I, I do not know who Oklahoma State has outside of a Colin Clay, Xavier Ross, and, uh, you know, an Eamon Oates. I think that's it. Yeah, and, and obviously they've added, like, Justin Kirkland, but you and I aren't super high on him just from the tape we've seen. We, we do think he's a great player, but a, a guy maybe that's more of a rotation piece, maybe feels that similar to a Holomaka role. Yeah, You need I, to be six deep so, there, I think. Do you think they add another transfer portal guy that could be ready for spring football, or do you think they're done? No, I think they're done. I feel like it's, I feel like if they're going to bring anybody else in, it feels like a Prince Pines and Casey Collier type of situation because that happened late, didn't it? That happened in the second window of the portal last year, if I'm not mistaken, because they were not going to be on campus during spring. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think Pines was. I can't remember. Maybe it was Pines. Collier, but Maybe it was I, just I, Pines. I, I, dude, I don't think Pines was going to be there in the spring. That's yeah. why he kind of had that flip late because he yeah. wasn't really on campus anywhere. And I feel and like that's, that's a good call. I feel like that's kind of what we would be looking at here is a late addition. Um, and I do think there are guys like Prince Pines in the portal late uh, like that. I think that they could find somebody, but they're not and in the it, portal it right now. It opens back up think. in May. Right. So right. It, you could get a guy, you could get an experienced D lineman to come in. And if it's someone that's played several years in college football, they could learn the defense enough throughout the summer and fall camp to be able to contribute. So I don't think all is lost if you really want them to get a defensive lineman on the interior like Caden and I do. But I, I wouldn't, I'm leaning with you. I, I don't think they're going to add anybody else out of the transfer portal. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. All right, that's all we have in the portal. Kate, a couple recruiting notes. Like I mentioned earlier, February 1st is signing day. You know, we had the early signing day. This is the official signing day. I think you'll see a couple guys sign. One of them, recent commit, Tyke Andrews, the 6'1", 180-pound receiver from Enid. He's got an OSU connection because Enid's coach is former Oklahoma State All-American receiver Rashawn Woods. So, a little bit under the radar here. He's not rated on 247. I'm sure he'll catch that three-star rating soon that we see all not rated Oklahoma State commits get. He lined up in both the slot and outside in the film that I watched. As a senior this past year, he hauled in 130 passes for 1,551 yards and 17 touchdowns. Ian made it made to the second round of the playoffs. So it goes a little bit against Adam Lund's theory of bad teams, but they did finish six and six. So I guess you can't really call him a good team. Fit right in. So his his main this is first power five offer. He's got Dartmouth, Drake, Navy. I think this is more of an under the radar guy. But we've seen Oklahoma State do some good stuff with guys like this, and you know the the diamond in the rough, quote unquote, guys that end up turning into be really good wide receivers. So whenever they get a guy like this, the receiver spot, I'm always a little hopeful that maybe they turn into a better player than their high school rating would suggest. 
I agree. And I think he's kind of the player that Oklahoma state consistently goes and gets and turns into a good player. Um, I was not expecting, I mean, once I saw them offer, I expected probably a commitment, but I was just not expecting another receiver in this class. And then they go get Tyke, Tyke Andrews. So I was surprised about that, but ultimately it makes sense. Local kid, uh, connection to Oklahoma State. You know, if he's if he's an athlete, he's an athlete. They'll find a spot for him. And it seems like they really wanted him because I believe he was a, they had offered him as a preferred walk on. Oh, wow. And then went back and offered him the scholarship. So once he didn't take that, so it seems like they really wanted him. So we'll see what happens there. You know, Casey Dunn recruits really well at that position. So the next guy, Jalen Pope, not rated on 247. Kate, he is the most confusing high school recruit I've seen in a while. 5'11", 180 pounds. He had 1,252 yards in receiving and 14 touchdowns on 64 receptions. He plays for Alito High School, who's a Texas 5A powerhouse. They won the state championship. He was the leading receiver for them. He was previously committed to Air Air Force, decommitted and flipped to Oklahoma State. But his other offers are Arkansas State, Army, Navy, and Tulsa. How do you put up those kind of stats, have the highlight film that you have, be the multi-sport athlete that he is running track and field, and not have any other offers? I don't know, and I don't want to speculate, but I feel like, I mean, Alito's a, I mean, they are a powerhouse. Everybody knows Alito. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think speculating as to how you get there with all of the service school um, scholarships, sometimes you can connect those dots to maybe grades or something like that. But I think that's unfair. I think he's a good player, man. I, I did not expect Oklahoma State. I didn't expect him when I saw when I turned the film on. I was not ready for him. Like it's like this is this guy can play soon. So I I'm a big fan. It's not quite a Tywin Ray situation where you and I and Lunt are just gushing over him, but it's in the ballpark. The only thing I I mean I guess you know when you look at you know we talked to Adam Lunt. He noted that some of his track speed times don't seem ultra fast for a wide receiver. So he may not have elite top end speed, but he does everything else really well. The only thing I can think, Cade, like you said, we we don't want to speculate too much, but his junior year, 15 receptions for 279 yards and six touchdowns. I'm thinking maybe due to how Alito's offense operates. I haven't watched a ton of them outside of his highlight film. Think of like the Z position for Oklahoma State's offense. If someone were to graduate from that position and he gets popped in there, he's obviously going to get a lot more targets, a lot more catches, you know, going from 15 to 64 his senior year. So that could be one thing, but it still doesn't make sense why teams wouldn't hop on late. I think another thing you can attribute to is what the transfer portal is doing to some of these high school recruits. That's a really good point there. And it's probably, I think your two points right there are probably better than mine. But yeah, that junior year is where colleges are like, that's your year. You need to be developed and ready to go. If you're going to be a power five athlete, like they want to see it, the light turning on your junior year. But Oklahoma State, I don't think they care about that. I, I think they're more interested in the, 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 a 
the options they have with a player once they get on campus and the ability to develop. I think they're just looking at the tools and the skill set. Tywin Ray is a great example. I think this is another one. I think the last three guys we've talked about are your classic Oklahoma State recruits. Yeah. And then last note on recruiting, since we already talked to Manny Taimana, the offensive lineman from JUCO who will be uh, visiting this week. <laughs> we've got Josh Ford, the Stillwater tight end. He is the first commit of the 2024 class, 6'5", 230-pounder. I didn't see a rating yet on 247. He's seems to be more of kind of a blocking tight end fullback, maybe the traditional cowboy back spot, but he did catch the ball as well. He's a two-way player, played on the defensive line. We know Oklahoma State's history with recruiting Stillwater players. They normally get kind of first dibs on those guys being in that same city. Won't go too much into him. That's a little bit out. Obviously, we'll talk more about the 2024 guys after we get through the 2023 class. And then, Kate, I did want to bring up one thing to you out of those preferred walk-ons I talked about earlier that are coming in the spring. So, Connor Leeper, he's an offensive lineman from Mustang. He's he's not huge. He's only 6'2", 280. But he went on the two-year mission... So that's obviously what he hasn't played football in two years and he didn't have a ton of offers the first go round. So he's very under the radar. I think they actually have him listed on Pokes report as 310 pounds. So he probably gained a little bit of weight there. Also played defensive tackle at Mustang. But this is the type of guy I think that comes in as a preferred walk on. He went on the two-year mission. No one knows anything about him. He's from Oklahoma that we maybe see his senior year starting and dominating at Whoa. an offensive guard spot. Whoa, I love like it. Like we've seen in the past with these guys kind of pop up, play one year on the Oklahoma State offensive line and graduate. We're like, where did that guy come from? I mean, think back to not saying this guy was dominant, but like a Rye Schneider, sure. Jake Springfield coming on this year. I know he's been there for a little while now, but some of these walk-on guys, I would just keep an eye on Connor Leeper. Maybe he doesn't even end up playing offensive line. Maybe he plays defensive line. Maybe they flip him to cowboy back. That's just of the five, he's the most interesting to me. Yeah, I love that. Mustang's a good uh, program too. They they churn out some guys. I mean, they, they've got that uh, four star kid out there right now who's I think going to Oregon or Oklahoma. I can't remember, but anyway, they've got some talent out there. Yeah, Kate, I think that's it on football this week. I, I mean, we didn't hit some of the you know Bryson Green to Wisconsin. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I guess the only other thing we should shout out is. Kendall Daniels tabbed to the freshman All-American team. So back-to-back years, Oklahoma State has somebody on that team with Colin Oliver making it last year. So pretty awesome there. But I think that's all the football notes for this week. That's awesome. Outstanding job as always, my friend, in the portal. Thank you for walking us through it. Uh, I, I am personally thankful that we are now at a point where it has slowed down a little bit. Now you can start to really think about Oklahoma State's roster as it stands going into next year. We obviously know they need a couple of positions, but the depth chart pod is coming. I can feel it in my bones. It's like like rain clouds on the horizon or sunshine (laughs) on the horizon if you're in the rain clouds. I don't know. Whichever way you choose to look at it. All right. And Kate, did you want to mention, just so we don't forget, and since we just talked about the next pod will be the depth chart pod, we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're still going to have a pod next week, but it will not be until Friday. It'll probably be released Friday evening. Yep. So we won't be podcasting for this will probably be the longest break we've ever taken. It'll be about a week and a half. So yeah. just 
look for that. If if you don't see one, not that you guys are, you know, chomping at the bit to get these podcasts, but if you're wondering why we haven't recorded, it'll be Friday next week due to Cade and I both having crazy real schedules jobs. at the beginning of the week. Next <laughs> well, I, week. I, I thought you were going to say real jobs. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I tried to say it with you. <laughs> awesome. Well, sorry for, sorry for the break in the action there, Kate. I just wanted to throw that out so we didn't forget. No, no need to apologize. We will be right back after a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the Curse of Cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. Sent you. All right. Well, how else should we round out this podcast other than with the discussion of cowboy basketball right now? Obviously we'll end on a high note with your listener questions, but man, Dustin, what we wanted did not happen. Um, I think I think Oklahoma State's approach right now has to be go one and one at worst. And um, they didn't get one against Texas. They didn't get one against Kansas State when it was right there in front of them. And then Baylor happens. And now I think if you're like me, you're starting to wonder, okay, where is this going this year? Musa Cisse's injury clearly has had a major effect on this team they don't look the same they don't run the floor the same they don't have that weapon in the post um but i mean is anybody gonna make a shot is anybody gonna create a shot and make it i don't think so so, i didn't get to watch that baylor game live so i had to go back and watch the replay atrocious that was probably the least fun game that i've watched this season i think i've watched all of them so the least fun game all season Baylor wins 74, Oklahoma State 58. Oklahoma State shoots 21% from three on 33 attempts. Only 24 points in the paint, which, you know, is kind of their bread and butter when they have Cissé and Boone both operating down there. Only 10 turnovers, but they just weren't able to get anything going, as you mentioned, shooting-wise. You get a zero from John Michael Wright. You get zero from Chris Harris in 10 minutes. I don't think so. Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson, they had 11 and nine, but they kind of went one scored all their points in the first half and the other scored all their points in the second half. So it was just not, there was no rhythm to the offense and probably the worst, one of the worst defensive games they've played. Yeah. I know teams have scored more than 74 on them, I believe this year, but the way this game was flowing, the defense just lapsed at times. And I think you can attribute a lot of that, like you said, to Musa Cisse being out, but also it's just a bad game from Oklahoma State. They gave up two leads of 13 points and 15 points in the first half. So, I mean, that right there, I mean, 
I would agree. It was one of the worst games I can remember. I would also say it's one of the more like perplexing and frustrating results. Like Oklahoma State gets down 13 to nothing. They they don't score a point before the first media timeout. Baylor is raining it in from three. And then Oklahoma State comes all the way back. Like, and at one point they tied it up. And so you think, wow, like this Oklahoma State team, there's no die. There's no quit. And from literally that point, it was just downhill from there. Like the moment they tied it up, Baylor again goes on an offensive run and Oklahoma State can't match it, can't get a timely stop. And absolutely, they're not stringing. This is what I've noticed is they're not stringing possessions together. Like they're not getting a score, a stop, and a score, and a stop. It's almost like they get four stops in a row. They don't score. Baylor hits a three. Oklahoma State hits a three. And it's like it's in one hand out the other. And um, I'll just say that they need more production from Bryce Thompson. I mean, and John Michael Wright. I'll I'll put those two guys in the same category of need more. Two guys who we've also said on this podcast that we already have needed more from to this point. But Oklahoma State is nine and eight. And the schedule softens a little bit, like a little bit with Oklahoma coming to town. You got Iowa State, probably two games that Oklahoma State will probably be favored in. You go to Texas, that's probably a loss. And then you got Ole Miss at home. Like that has to be three out of four to me, Dustin. Yeah, I think too, just when, you know, 33 three-point attempts, they were three of 20 in the first half. It's like when things are going bad shooting-wise, they don't try to change anything up. They don't try to get to the free throw line. Only eight free throws the entire game. You've got, not to call him out, but, you know, Woody Newton's firing up threes with 20-plus on the shot clock with a guy in his face. Caleb Asbury, actually, some of his threes were good looks. He's taking 11, and it's almost like, I, I mean, I don't want him to take that many. I want them to get to the free throw line, like I just said. But also, if Bryce Thompson's going to be in foul trouble in the first half, if John Michael Wright's only going to shoot five shots, somebody's got to take the shots. And Caleb Hasford was like, I'll do it. I'll take 11 threes. He makes four of them. But I think Oklahoma State previously, in some previous games, and Mike Boynton has called this out in his postgame pressers, was missing. They were missing open shots. In this game, I think they were taking bad shots, a lot of bad shots. They were bad shots. They were rushed shots. And Oklahoma State's not a great shooting team. We talked a little bit ago about they were improving, but by no means are they a good shooting team. I think they have shooters, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the action. When's the last time Oklahoma State had a spot-up look from three in the half court? It feels like everything is kind of created in transition, off the dribble, which are not high percentage looks um, or a step in like you've, you've got somebody coming off a of motion, stepping into a three. I mean, you go turn on KUK state right now. KU they've got a guy in the corner all the time and they're creating motion and getting the ball out there. And it's sometimes it's Jalen Wilson. Sometimes it's Grady Dick. Sometimes it's Dewan Harris. The point guard moves into the corner and nails a three. It's just like, there is none of that with Oklahoma state right now. I also think they're not running enough. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna gripe about that, and then I'm gonna say they're not running enough. But they just need to create offense somehow, some way, because what they're doing right now, I mean, three abysmal performances in a row. 
it seems like Cisse will be a game time decision for OU tomorrow. So OU Bedlam game on Wednesday. OU has played teams well. They don't have any like really bad losses looking back at their schedule. I believe they're 11 and six overall, two and three in the Big 12. They'll be in Stillwater for this Bedlam matchup. They actually shoot the three pretty well. <laughs> I'm a, and they've, they've done well to stop the three on the other end. Uh, guys like Grant Sherfield, you know, Tanner Groves, who was there last year. Jalen Hill, who's turned into kind of their third option there. All guys that can play. I think Oklahoma State can win this game if Cissé plays, and we know he's probably going to be a game-time decision. But if he doesn't, I, I'm a little worried about this one as well, Cade. I would be worried about Tanner Groves inside against uh, Caleb Boone. And I don't, Grant Sherfield's a shooter. Like he, he, he can hit threes. And I think Jalen Hill is potentially a mismatch for Oklahoma State. Like I look at him and I'm like, who guards him? Chris Harris or, I mean, Avery? You're undersized there. So I do think Oklahoma presents a little bit of a matchup issue for Oklahoma State. If you remember back to last year, the way Oklahoma State beat OU was inside, and they threw it to Musa and Caleb every time. I guarantee you they will do everything in their power to not allow that to happen tomorrow because Oklahoma State just bludgeoned them inside last year. Um, I would not expect a similar allowance this year. And and on the flip, I think Musa Cisse is going to do everything in his power to try to play in this game. So Has to. hopefully that happens. Hopefully Gallagher is rocking. The students will be back on campus. It's bedlam. I'm I'm sure it won't be completely full with the team not not performing very well in these past few games. But hey, this Big 12 run is hard. If they could just get pull off one of these wins, I know the Baylor game wasn't close, but one of these close games, they could just pull off the win. I think it'll really swing the momentum for the rest of the season. But I am worried about this bedlam game tomorrow. Yeah, well, they have they have not won a close game. I mean, the the one game they won was West Virginia. I think they were going to lose that one if uh, what's his face doesn't get kicked out of that game. I think that one was trending the wrong way too. So uh, they have got to figure out a way to 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 steal one of those. Um, unfortunately, they haven't done it yet. So tomorrow is going to be a tight one. It's in Gallagher Iba. I will be there. Um, but I don't feel the best about it. So hopefully they get it. I think they need to go 2-0 this week, though. you got two home games. Chance to get right. You go to Texas, who's on a tear and really stifled you. Then Ole Miss, I, I think you have to go three out of four. Then you go to OU. TCU comes to town. Tech comes to town. The schedule does lighten a little bit. So you need to string some wins together right here when you have a chance. Yeah, I agree. It's, hey, we're still here. We're still cheering them on. It's they just gotta they gotta win one of these and we'll we'll get back to just I'll chugging the orange Kool-Aid. I'll throw them I'll throw them one bone. They have played at Baylor, at K-State, and at KU already. Uh, I don't think anybody expected K-State to be a top 10 team. They are they are beating the brakes off of Kansas right now. Um they have played a difficult schedule to this point, but so is everybody in the Big 12, and Oklahoma State's sitting at the bottom of it right now. So this is the time. This is the time to go on a run. Yeah, I agree. Well, enough of that. Let's get to the questions. Dustin, I don't think we have any from, uh, I don't think we have any voice questions unless you have one, but I think we can no, probably I, go ahead and get right into Twitter. 
Yeah, and we tried to hit a couple this week that we saw early during the podcast. So we hit two of those there. So thanks, guys, so much for sending those in. So we've got a few more. Uh, this one's from at Brown by at Brown by. So the handle and the username are the same. Sorry, that confused me for a second. <laughs> so he says, or he or she says, the tight ends coming in from the portal appear to have far more production when it comes to targets and receptions than what we've been accustomed to in Stillwater for the last eight to 10 years. Is this foretelling of a change in philosophy vis-a-vis the cowboy back? And then we also had one <laughs> from Jay to the Dizzle at Jay Klein Smith, who said, are you excited about getting a second portal tight end or nah? I know you both have a deep seated love for the cowboy back position, which I believe is sarcasm. So it can't possibly sit well with you that we'd have two new tight ends, one primarily a receiving threat and one more of a blocker, but both versatile. So I want to hit those both together, Kate, because they're both about the tight end position, but you and I, I think have kind of come to the terms where when we're laying out our depth chart on these future podcasts, I think we're going to have a fullback spot that we can still call cowboy back for now and a separate tight end slot. Yeah, I think we're going to have so a weird. list of 12 position players like we have in the past, but instead of one of those wide receivers, we, you, know, you know, we were listing four receivers just because they rotated them in so much, and that's how Oklahoma State does it on their official depth chart. But I think this time you list 12 guys out, and instead of that fourth receiver, you put both a tight end and fullback on the depth chart because I think that's how they're going to rotate it this year. Now, I'll have to see it to believe it that big. And I'm I'm not saying that's that huge of a scheme change overall, but for Mike Gundy to go complete change in his scheme, complete change, and even just laying out the depth chart or taking away that cowboy back terminology, I'll have to see it to believe it. But I think that's what you and I are going to go forward with for now until we hear otherwise. Yeah, I love it. And first off, listen here, Jay, to the Dizzle. I don't have a deep-seated love for the Cowboy back at all. I think they've done some good things. I think Dustin laid out beautifully the last couple of weeks how the rule change has significantly hampered that position's ability in the zone-blocking game. So, uh, yeah, I'm all for a reimagination of the passing game overall which includes a reimagination of the Cowboy back and tight end. I think they've got talent. I think of Blaine Green, if he does stick at that Cowboy back spot or a tight end, I think they've got talent there. It's just, let's get them on the field. So, yeah. So we've got, so a little bit of a switch up here, Cade. We've got two questions. We've got one from our guy, Ross at our lawyer, 212. Ross has sent us in multiple questions in the past. Thanks, Ross. He says, is it softball season yet? And then Sam Buchert at GoPokes02 says, do you think it's more likely we win a softball national championship this year or baseball wins a game in Omaha? Oh, That's actually a great question. But before we get to those, I did want to point out D1 Baseball has put out some polls and D1 Softball. OSU comes in at number three in D1 Softball's preseason <laughs> top 25. And OSU Baseball comes in at number nine in D1 Baseball's preseason top 25 poll. So... I think that's where D1 softball had Oklahoma State last year at number three. And I believe the Cowboys were number seven in the baseball poll. So pretty similar to the rankings last year. But Ross, you know, you know, because I've talked to you in DMs and you've listened to the podcast with Cade now, you know, we're ready for softball. And then on the question from Sam, more likely that softball wins it all or that 
baseball wins a game in Omaha. Kate, I might let you take the first stab at that. Oh, I have to think for a second. <laughs> you pulled the ripcord on me. Throw it to you. Yeah, yeah, you pulled the ripcord. You said, nah. Well, here, let's just talk through it. Let's talk through it. So softball, we've seen them get there multiple times to the College World Series in Oklahoma City. They got really close last year and they, you know, they kind of blew it against yeah, Texas. Absolutely. Or they would have had a chance to win now. Were they going to beat OU again? You know, they had the magic win over them, but OU just kind of dominated pretty much all season last year. So were they going to do that? A lot of teams are reloading. You know, OU and Texas are both ranked again in the top 25 in D1 softball's poll. But I think with Kelly Maxwell on your team and with everything Oklahoma State's returning and some of the newcomers who we'll get to when we do our softball preview, I think they have a realistic shot. But again, I think baseball is going to be really good returning guys like Nolan McLean, Rock Riggio. So their Man. D1 baseball has their transfer portal class ranked, I think, number fifth in the number five in the country. So, Kate, I, I still I still don't know where I'm going. I was just trying to keep talking until I figured out which way I wanted to answer it. But <laughs> I'm going to go more likely baseball wins a game in Omaha. I think they're going to have a really good team this I year. I think I am too because it's so hard to win a national championship. And I think you have a juggernaut in Oklahoma, which if they were not a juggernaut, I might pick Oklahoma State softball to win a national title first. I just think there's there's a giant uh, in the way of everybody. It's not just Oklahoma State. So um, speaking of, is is uh, what's her face still at OU? I uh, Jocelyn uh, Allo is she gone? No, she's a senior, right? Yeah, I believe she's playing in the professional. Yeah, that helps. Softball league that now. helps. Yeah. That helps for Oklahoma State. I would say, Which but Oklahoma I know they City has a team in that league that's starting up. I think next year or this okay. summer maybe it's next summer but the oklahoma city spark nice so you'll see some former oklahoma state players on that team yeah that'll cool. be that'll be a lot of fun for sure and at the newly renovated uh stadium down there so that'll be good um yeah i'll go i'll go baseball wins a game in omaha mclean and Riggio, you got me pumped for baseball just with that sentence right there so yeah if you haven't seen oklahoma state baseballs i think i saw it on twitter but i'm sure it's on instagram too it's rock Riggio and his back to school fit it's him in his baseball jersey wearing a huge fur coat and a cowboy hat and that's that's just the rock Riggio I know and love right there. Yeah, hitting homers, absolutely. <laughs> okay, we got one more, Cade. And a couple of people asked two questions, just being consistent with how we have in the past. I, I was just taking one there, but all great questions. Thank you guys so much. So we got one more from our guy, Matt Claxton at Road Crew One. Thanks, Matt. He sends in a lot of good ones. He says, do you think that Joe Bob takes over his DC or they go outside the program again? We kind of answered this earlier. I, I think they're going to go with Joe Bob, but the more and more time that passes since that Derek Mason announcement makes me feel like they're maybe considering outside candidates. Maybe so. It, do, it does feel a little strange that that hasn't already been announced. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. As always, we really appreciate all the Twitter questions. We, You know we love the audio ones, but the ones you guys send in Twitter – they're great as well, especially when we don't have any audio ones. We can hit all the Twitter ones. So thank you guys so much, as always, and thanks, as always, for listening. Yeah, well, speaking of Matt Claxton, uh, he gave you your flowers, I would say. He he tweeted us this week. He said, listen to Feels Like 45 Pod and then check Twitter to see Arlen Bruce commit. These guys know their transfer portal. Yes, 
Yes, we do. We pride ourselves. Matt, it's just guesses from my end. I, I do my best, though. But I appreciate the flowers. Yeah. I do appreciate the flowers. And I did want to shout out, Cade, you for dealing with me just going off onto random tangents sometimes and still getting us through the podcast in a very fashionable, very gentlemanly, beautiful manner every oh, week. Oh, well, I'll take beautiful coming from you, my friend. Absolutely appreciated. I appreciate you just as fl- always. Just flowers going around right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll be over here in about five minutes. Um, no, <laughs> I'm going to cut that. Uh, appreciate you as always leading us through the portal. An absolutely fantastic episode. Pray pray that Oklahoma State basketball gets a couple of good wins here this week. Uh, should be a good one. I mean, Iowa State's 12th in the, uh, in the poll. It should be a good one. Um, we need a better showing, I would say, than, than we had against Texas uh, at home. So let's turn the ship around. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Feels45Pod. You can follow Dustin at DustRagu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Go Pokes.